Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Broadcasting from Studio One, as it's known. Yep. On the seventh of May. You know, one of the few Catholic dates in my life that I remember is my first Holy Communion. May eighth. Not sure what year it was. I was eight. So if I was eight, it would have had to have been 1965. Probably the summer of 1966. The spring of 1966. I do remember it was spring. Yeah, my cousin Linda, she made her first communion on the same day over at St. Anne's. Yep. The um, so anyway, good morning to you. I uh, Ohio man asked me, "Hey, could you send me the link to the Pearl Harbor video you were talking about?" I said, "Yeah, man, I could do it." And then I thought, "Why don't I just put it up on the read board?" So, um, yesterday Will flew out, so Will spent the night here last night. Jeffrey came up for dinner last night. Yeah, the only buddy, the only guy that was missing was Tim. So, uh, yeah, Will's going to a change of command. Actually, a post of relief of a sergeant major here at One Meth, I think. That's what it is. And uh, who Will served with in a previous tour. So, Will out here representing. And so... Um, yeah, so we'll cook dinner last night. Ribeye steaks, fried sweet potatoes, uh, and then some kind of Greek salad. Um, so, yeah, Jeff came up, and we hung out, talked shit about people, and had a good time. So it was good. Always uh, always awesome to be in the company of your good friends. The um, And just talk. So... Uh, so then after dinner, Jeff took off. Will and I are sitting around shooting the shit. And I said, hey, man, you got to see this. And so we're watching the video, 
Will Smart guy, right? And he's like, wow. He goes, you know, I've never seen this kind of detailed analysis of the target list. And um, the target list and then bomb damage assessment at Pearl Harbor. So anyway, so if you go to the read board right now, you'll see a um, you'll see one thing a post that um, how would I describe it? You'll see one post that um, has a map chip, kind of a drawn map of digital map drawn kind of thing of Fort Island, you can see. It says Pearl Harbor video, attack plan, target list, and bomb damage assessments from the attack. Um, that's the, the one about the attack. So we watched that one, and we're sitting there shooting the shit. And then the next video that comes on is entitled, it's, it's about the salvage efforts that happened at Pearl Harbor after the attack. And I have to tell you, um, absolutely fascinating. So if you look at, there's another, po- uh, there's another post on the read board. It says Pearl Harbor video, the amazing salvage efforts that happened after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Outstanding, three parts. So the first part is the salvage of Pearl Harbor, part one, the smoke clears. Second part is salvage of Pearl Harbor, part two. Up she rises. And then the third part is the first and the last. And uh, what's really interesting is what they do at Pearl Harbor. How they raise those ships, man. First of all, how they go into them knowing that there's remains of dead sailors inside of them. And, you know, one of the things we're sitting there that he and I never heard, uh, I want to say inside the Oklahoma that capsized at Pearl Harbor, they found uh, bodies in air pockets of guys who had lived up to two weeks after the attack. And they knew they lived that long because they found calendars. And so we're sitting there watching it going, holy shit, man, I didn't know that. And 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 they showed the way they um, the way they righted the ships, and, and, and honestly, it's absolutely fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, and, and Will's talking. You know, Naval Academy at that time. You know, you were a hard science engineering guy, come out of there, and they had the expertise, to, you know, to do that kind of stuff, and so. Um, but it, I will tell you, if if you're bored and you're looking for something, if you're a dork like we are, um, and if you're listening to this, you might be. Absolutely fascinating stuff uh, relative to the salvage efforts at Pearl Harbor. Now, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because uh, I didn't know it. Uh, the USS Utah, uh, they attempted to ride it, and they never, and they were not able to. And 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 so when the way they would write the ship is, they did stuff like you know they had, 
you know, giant hole holes in the some of the holes as the ship sunk, right? They would make patches, and then they would, and these patches were in the shape of the hull that that the patch would go over, and then they would weld the patch to the hull, and they would begin pumping air into the hull. They would take everything they could take off the ship, and then they would begin. Then they'd put the patch on. Then they'd begin to try to make the thing buoyant, and and then they would try to ride it. And as they tried to ride it, they would rinse all the extra mud off. And then as things got exposed, they would take those things off. They would gain access to the ship. Then they would stop, and then they'd offload all the ammunition, which lightened, you know, increased buoyancy by lightening the load, right? And so it's just fascinating, you know, and I mean, there's there's a shit ton of ammunition on those battleships. And so it was just fascinating. Um, the... Uh, just, and it's done by a some kind of British organization that's devoted to logistics, uh, naval operations, and things like that. So it's three parts. I don't know how long each part is. Maybe thirty to forty-five minutes, I think. And so we sat there like dorks last night watching it. So, so I thought I should. Uh, I, th- I thought I should. Uh, I thought I should talk about. I thought I should talk about that. So you can find them if you go to the All Marine Radio website. Um, if you go to the um, if you go to the read board, you will see them, and then uh, you'll see that those are links. Yeah, so you can click on the links, and you can go straight to the videos and watch them. And uh, I, I tell you, just uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, the, again, the technology of the time that they used. To write the vessels, you see pictures. You'll see pictures of, you know, guys working salvage. The divers that used to go into those things, and so they'd look at the blueprint of the ship, and then the divers had to go down, and they had to set certain conditions in the ship damage uh, control conditions, and so they so certain compartments had to be watertight. Certain compartments could not be watertight. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it was, like, dorky, <laughs> naval, um, really interesting, detailed looks at the way they salvaged what they salvaged at Pearl Harbor. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, Will and I uh, dorking out last night uh, watching that stuff. So it was pre- actually pretty cool, pretty cool. The... Um, I'm cutting up audio over the weekend of the hearing from earlier this week, so you'll hear it on Monday. And what, what you'll hear is you'll hear uh, parents who spoke, and I'll try to edit out the extraneous, um, you know, statements by, you know, politicians, and and reduce it the best I can, uh, so that you can hear uh, two parents that spoke at the hearing. And, uh, and I, I, well, I don't know if they, they felt like they were speaking for everybody, but, um, Peter Vienna is the wife of the wife is the father of a Navy corpsman, Christopher Nem, last name spelled G-N-E-M and, uh, Peter Ostrowski. He's the father of PFC Jack. Ostrowski that uh, that died in the AB incident. So they testified in one panel. 
And then following them, uh, the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps testified, uh, Gary, General Gary Thomas, and uh, Vice Admiral Roy Kitchener. He's the Commander of Naval Surface Forces. He testified. And then Major General Greg Olson testified. He's the Staff Director of the Marine Corps. Uh, so I will uh, clip that stuff down and bring you, you know, but again, their comments you will hear in their entirety because I don't like to, I don't like to edit that stuff. I like to, you to hear all of it. So, so anyway, um, so you'll hear that on Monday. Um, what else is going on? I want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Chris Tavuchis, who's, uh, who's recovering uh, from a little bit of an illness. So, Vooch, what's up? Hope you feel better. Um, uh, I met Chris Tavuchis in Fallujah. He was, um, what was it? He was fires for the regiment. He's a regimental fires officer, I think was his billet, uh, in the, uh, in the S3. So I worked with him on a, on a daily basis, sometimes hourly basis as we, you know, as we cleared targets to be engaged. Um, and so, uh, so Vooch is a great guy and, uh, he's a, uh, a native of, uh, Winnipeg. And then came down, and he's a citizen, and and went to the University of North Dakota. So we have some common, uh, uh, we, uh, I don't know, common shit in our backgrounds, for lack of a better term. And so, uh, anyway, I just want to give him a shout out and say, uh, uh, hope you're feeling better. And so it is Friday, so Whitney Houston makes uh, Friday official. Good morning to you.
And this is dedicated to my boy, uh, Booch. Yeah. And uh, in, in addition to him, a little bit of Marine Corps history yesterday as uh, the first female recruits graduated from uh, the Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego, California, as uh, Congress has mandated that uh, female Marines be trained at both recruit depots. And so the first group graduated uh, yesterday. So congratulations to all of them, Marines, officially. And so this dedicated to uh, Colonel Christovuchis and to a whole bunch of female Marines who made history yesterday uh, by being the first female Marines to graduate. Uh, but they will not be the last to graduate from uh, Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego. Nice going. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds and win. You gotta win. Uh, I don't hear too much of that. Yeah, it's concerning. I mean, shouldn't the first statement be is we've got to win. We're committed to winning. And then everything else goes from that. It'd be nice. Um, currently, in Quantico, Partly sunny, 61. Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune has cooled off from yesterday. It's raining and 63, 29 palms 
is sunny and 74 right now. Pendleton clouds and 60. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy, 69 degrees. Okinawa, dark cloudy, 76. Darwin, whoa, getting cold in Darwin. Clear, dark, and 74. And Norway's recovered. They had rain yesterday. It is uh, partly sunny at 55 in Oslo. And at the home of All Marine Radio, cloudy and 61. Looking for a high today of 66. Whoa, that's down. 67 tomorrow, 67 on Sunday, 68 on Monday, 69 on Tuesday. That is a look at your weather here on a Friday, the uh, 7th day of May in the year of our Lord, 2021. Yeah, we never thought we'd hit that. I sure as hell didn't. I remember I used to think, like, I'll be 43 when we hit 2,000. Like, two ages I remember, right? I'll be 43. What the hell is that going to be like? Where will I be? What will I be doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the other age... That uh, was in my head was um, 63, my age now, because when we had Colleen, I'm doing the math, I'm like, I will be 63 when she graduates from high school. Good God, what in the hell? What will that be like? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it turns out pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, so yeah, two ages in my life that I had circled on the calendar wondering what the hell, where would I be? So I think I turned 43, 2000, I was in North Dakota, spent that evening downtown and they had a projector in the, uh, in a window, projecting on a window of the newspaper building that did the countdown to the year 2000. Yeah, I was there with friends of ours, and a couple of our kids were there. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting places where life leads that you don't anticipate. And uh, so... Always, always uh, an interesting journey. The uh, Check some news now. Email. Mac, thank you very much. I heard you talk about those links the other day, or at least the one to the attack. And I thought, I should get that. Thank you for putting them on the report. The salvage thing sounds crazy. Yeah, you'll see... Things you didn't consider, like the you know those ships either settle in the mud, they capsize in the mud, you know. And so, so what is the mud? Is it just mud? Is it hard rock? Is it wedged in, or is it some of both? And then how the navy had to how 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 they the things they had to do to then you know get those ships out of those conditions. And again, I'm not an engineer. Um, I'm not an engineer, but and but it was fascinating to watch it. 
absolutely fascinating to watch it. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I would absolutely uh, recommend it. I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, here's another one. Saw your headline yesterday, and it caught my eye. I missed the show. I just wanted to say that one of the things I've come to enjoy about your podcast is you guys don't pull any punches. Your opinions are your opinions, and you don't seem to shy away from them. Um, I'll read you the headline from yesterday. The headline is The Mensa Brothers. Franz Giles' article, then the plus sign, which means it's a different topic. At least it does to me. Major General Olson's comments to con- comment to Congress, quote, 20 years of landborne operations have caused us to lose some of our amphibious edge is bullshit. That's the headline. Um, it doesn't say bullshit. But it says B U L L S asterisk asterisk asterisk. So, yeah, because I'm like that. Um, so Will and Jeff and I were talking last night. Amtrak's. Yep. Amtrak's. When was the last time? Amtraks were in Iraq or Afghanistan. And um, so Jeff says, well, they were never in Afghanistan. I was like, and I'm thinking like, yeah, they weren't there when I was there. And he said, and they stopped being used in Iraq in 2005. After an Amtrak hit an ID, and there was multiple casualties out west in the vicinity of Haditha. I think it was it was a reserve battalion that took the most casualties of any battalion uh, in the fighting there. And uh, in fact, I have a good friend that uh, that was the uh, I and I for that company. So anyway, the Amtrak community. In in the Marine Corps, stops being used in Iraq, those vehicles, in 2005, to the best of my recollection. Now, somebody might correct me on that, but I was there in 2006, and we had Task Force Gator working for us. So it was, it was Amtrak Marines. But they weren't moving around in, in Amtrak's. They were moving around in up-armored Humvees. And they did a lot of work on, it was called MSR Mobile, which was the major uh, interstate freeway between uh, Baghdad, then it went through Fallujah, then it went out to Ramadi. And so they did a lot of work on that, looking for IDs, stuff like that. So, 2005, is that right? I mean, I think it is. So, we're sitting around talking last night. Part of the testimony that you'll hear on Monday is that 
Yeah, I just got a text from a friend. Third Battalion, 25th Marines, 18 killed in action in the middle of Haditha in 2005. It was a bad day. And so I believe that we stopped using Amtrak's um, in the 2005 time frame. I know we didn't use them in 2006. So when you look at the, you know, just just some of the reporting that w- that was done relative to um, relative to the testimony of uh, Major General Olson and General Thomas. Okay, so when you when you see what got quoted, blah 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 blah. Um, one of the things is. Fifty-four percent of the vehicles in the in the Marine Corps fleet had problems in the plenary. I think that's the name of the thing, and then fifty percent had a problem with um, their rear lights inside the the troop compartment. Now, Will said, I think that deadlines those vehicles. And so... So you read that, right? And you think, okay, so let's just say 2005, 2006, 2007 time frame. Let's, so let's just say they were still there in 2006. And let's just say they, they all got home and be generous by 2007. That's 13 years ago, right? That's 13 years ago. Why the fuck are those conditions existing in the Marine Corps in those vehicles? And 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 again, I'm um, you know, Will's a pretty smart guy, and he worked in part of the Marine Corps that the rest of us did not. And so he's no, he's no dope when it comes to this stuff. He's actually, you know, he's actually um, pretty smart. And so Will says, "This is, you know, we were talking last night, and he said, and and I wish he was. He's he already left for the change, the the posting in relief." Or I, I'd had him on. I'd have him on. And we'd be talking about. It. Maybe I'll bring him on on Monday. But this is the kind of oversight that Congress is supposed to do. He, we allocated you money. These vehicles haven't been in combat. Twenty years have reg- re- have degraded our ability. Bullshit, man. Why are these vehicles in such bad condition? 
Who's taking care of them? If this is an issue, why doesn't somebody say anything? 54%? Really? Right? And so this is, I mean, more than moderately disturbing. And then and then you see a quote like that and then it straight up pisses you off. And then and then you sit there and you start talking with your smart guy friends and they bring in yeah, well you know look, there might have been Marines, you know. But even even we haven't been in Afghanistan in any kind of large numbers since two thousand 12, 2013, 2014, if you want to be generous, that's at least six years ago. That's the whole Marine Corps hasn't been there. And then you watch that, you watch that on TV and, and nobody that's sitting, in, that, that's a member of Congress has taken enough interest in this shit to look at them and say, hey, General Olson, I got a problem with what you just said. My my understanding is these vehicles haven't been anywhere close to combat since 2006, 2007. Could you explain to me why 54% of them leak and, and 50% of them ought to be deadlined because they have no lights in the troop compartment? And where is the oversight and supervision from leaders in the Marine Corps that see this? And, you know, and then Will, Will I mean, Will was, I mean, pissed. Go get the Deers reports. Go get the people and what they reported and who didn't do what they were supposed to do relative to this fleet of vehicles that is supposed that Congress allocates money to keep them ready so that we can go to war. And so, yeah, I have to tell you that yesterday was you know really disturbing day as we kind of pulled the string on on we had not seen the fifty four percent and the fifty percent numbers that came out of that testimony. So you'll hear that on Monday. And um, so anyway, disturbing. Matt, could you read the sentences that you're talking about? Yeah, there's an article that I'll include in this hour's post written by, let's see, what's her name? Elizabeth Howe, and it's it's in Defense One, and I'll read you, let's see, what do those numbers come for? However, vehicles did not meet the standards required for waterborne operations as became clear after the incident, more than 54% of the AAVs in the fleet did not meet watertight integrity standards and investigation revealed. We found, quote, we found in our subsequent inspections after a safety, after a safety of use message came up on the 31st of July was that we had a problem across the fleet with our watertight integrity. 
These are old vehicles, but they are broadly well understood, said General Thomas, the Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps. I assure you, we will fully resource any requirements to keep these operational. Well, wait a minute. That's I don't I don't care about that. I'm asking you, General Thomas, why weren't they? We allocate money. You're supposed to keep these things maintained. Why are 54% of your fleet not watertight? Not asked. Not asked. And then Will came up with, you know, another data point from the testimony that did not make it into this article that 50%, you know, had running lights in the back that, or not running lights, had, had, Crew, uh, troop compartment lights. He said, "I he said I think those things deadline the vehicle." Now I'm not sure what the deadline criteria. He might be right about that, but I will find out. And so, I mean, anyway, uh, disturbing to say the least. And so disturbing that it happened. Disturbing that the problem is even worse than you thought. Disturbing that leaders that are charged specifically with doing this, and if it's fleet-wide, what in the fuck is going on? Disturbing that no congressional member threw this shit in the center of the room and put them on blast and say, why are we having this conversation, man? What are you guys doing there? And then if you listened yesterday, you heard Will's comments about, you know, what General Thomas said, you'll hear there. You'll hear those from his words. You know that we want to create an environment. You know where people have. You know people feel comfortable. Uh, Will's comment. How about we we create an environment where people get made uncomfortable, so that they do their jobs. Because if they don't, right, they're going to get their shit fired. Because this is life and death business. Lessons learned. Listen to the lead paragraph of this of, of this article. The amphibious assault vehicle mishap that killed eight Marines and a sailor in July of 2020 has spurred many lessons learned. We've been doing amphibious, op- amphibious operations forever. The fucking Amtrak has been in the inventory forever. Why are we learning? You know, and, and so you know what we're learning. We're learning basic leadership lessons, and and that's what nobody wants to say. This is not about the AV. This is about leaders. And that's that's the most frustrating part is, is is you're getting all this boilerplate bullshit about lessons learned. What lesson are you gonna learn about the AV when it's been in the fucking inventory for forty years? Can you explain that to me? Are you gonna learn a lesson about how to maintain it? Are you gonna learn a lesson about how to order parts? Or are you going to learn a lesson that somebody's got to put their hand up and say, we can't do this, but nobody wants to say that? Are you going to learn a lesson about supervision, which you were supposed to learn when you came in this son of a bitch? So anyway, we had a big conversation about that last night. Uh, Graduation day for first women to attend Marine Corps, uh, to graduate from Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego. There was excitement in the air as family and friends of new Marines made their way. This is in Stars and Stripes. Actually, it's in the San Diego Union Tribune. Stars and Stripes ran the story. Um, 
as family and friends of new Marines made their way to grandstands at the parade deck at Marine Corps recruit depot, San Diego on Thursday morning at the end of the parade grounds, 397 freshly minted Marines stood at parade rest in formation, passing family members stole glances, trying to find their Marines among the uniform masses. I will tell you this. If you ever go on vacation to San Diego and you're there on a Thursday morning, you need to go and see if you can get on base and go watch your, uh, a Marine Corps boot camp graduation. And if it doesn't bring a tear to your eye, you're not a human being. Yeah. You're an, you're an animal. Because what you see is you see families that are seeing, you know, their kid for the first time in, I don't know, 13 weeks. You know, they sent this little scumbag off and now, right, you know, most of them are in much better shape. You know, they're in short hair, tanned heads and necks, right? This clear look in their eye, you know, they're Marines. And on a, on a really happy day for them and the Marine, you know, being this is the first day they're called Marine. Um, in public, and then uh, and then their families get to see him. It's just it's just this explosion of joy that you see, and the, the but again, um, what's really cool is the melting pot that is the nation. You see every culture there. Uh, you see kids from every creed there, and families that represent the entire spectrum of of American culture, and it is this incredible. Uh, melting pot that you see there and it's such so emotional for for the families or seeing their kid for the first time and so if you ever have a chance to go go it is it is very 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 cool stuff uh the article goes on while the san diego depot graduates about 40 companies of new marines each year thursday ceremony was special it was only the third graduation open to family and friends since they were suspended in march of 2020 due to the coronavirus and in one of the six graduating platoons were 53 women, the first women to graduate from Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego boot camp in its 100-year history. Until now, all Marine Corps trained females went through Marine Corps Recruit Depot Paris Island, which is in South Carolina. Congress mandated in 2019 that Marines would fully integrate boot camp at Paris Island and in San Diego. So um, this is the first step of the Marine Corps complying with that law. And uh, so um, congratulations to, uh, to all those new Marines. A little bit of Marine Corps history yesterday. As... Uh, as MCRD uh, wrestles with, I think, facilities issues and things like that that they have to uh, deal with down there. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, congratulations to all those Marines. Uh, top story in the Wall Street Journal today is the, the economy only added 266,000 jobs, all right? Um, and that is, for those of you that are, economic dorks, right? Total non-farm payrolls, right? Unemployment rose to 6.1% as some businesses struggled to fill openings. Now, this is weird because what you would expect in terms of unemployment, would it would continue 
to drop. So this headline's kind of confounding. Here's another message. Third Battalion First Marines relieved 325 in August of 2005, and the tracks left with Third Battalion 25th Marines. I can't speak for Oliver, but it sounds right. Yeah, look, I I showed up. If that's 2005, in in the second half of 2005, I was there in the February of 2006. And we did not use them. Task Force Gator was uh, up armored Humvee, and so there's the point. The, the point is this: probably by 2006, there were no AVs in Iraq, and they never were in Afghanistan, right? Other than maybe the initial uh, events there, and I don't know that they were there then because they would have had to have been flown in. So anyhow. Um, I don't think the AVs were ever there. So that means they've been CONUS-based. Conus Why are they in such condition? Why are they struggling? Why aren't they maintained? Why didn't somebody put their hand up? See, all that is the stuff of Congress. I don't want to get... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get uh, back on that. Let's go back to unemployment. right? Unemployment going up when it should be going down is a more pleasant... Um, is a much more pleasant subject, right? Hiring slowed last month as the U.S. only added 266,000 jobs. Um, the projection, and so what was curious about this report this morning was that the projection called for the economy to add about a million jobs. Yeah, that was a projection. And the... Um, When it only does 25% of what's expected, something's not right someplace. So, uh, and then there's more, a couple more interesting stories in the Wall Street Journal, right? Millions are unemployed. Why can't companies find workers? So a little bit of an interesting story there. So I think if you're looking for a job, you might want to cast your net a little wider because um, companies are finding problems finding people to work which does not make any sense to me um from usni news one of my favorites uh marines retooling infantry training for complex warfare in the pacific uh gidget fuentes put this out gidget longtime writer i think she's actually married to a marine if i'm not mistaken uh, after 20 years of counterinsurgency and low-end conflict in the middle east the marines are rapidly retooling for a different kind of fight as the service has shed legacy equipment like tanks and heavy artillery to reshape itself into a mobile Pacific Island hopping force. I don't know. You know, we used to be a mobile Pacific Island hopping force, and we had those things. Yeah. If you recall a little operation in the Pacific called World War II, tanks and artillery were part of that. Hello? Anyway... Um. This week, the School of Infantry at Camp Pendleton graduates the first three platoons of complete that that have completed a redesigned 
Infantry Marine Corps. The proposed longer entry-level training program will prepare infantry squads to operate against peer adversaries in high-tech threats in dispersed littoral environments in line with General Berger's focus on preparing the service for 2030. So I want you to listen to a few of the things that I noticed in the article. That potential future environment is front and center in the new program. New students students sit through a briefing the only time they're in a classroom through the 14 weeks of training. To hear and understand the future operating environment and how they'll fit in. Instructors say that while current Marine Rifleman course was has trained infantry infantry well for desert battles in Iraq and Afghanistan against lesser trained forces. The new course more appropriately prepares them for more capable adversaries they'll face in future conflicts. Quote Privates the privates of today are the squad leaders of tomorrow. If we can change the trajectory now, they will be prepared for twenty thirty. The new course has has reaped other unexpected benefits. After the first day's orientation brief, students spend the remaining 14 weeks, including a week-long final training exercise outside the classroom, mostly in the field. The revamped course also includes water training and qualification requirement not part of current entry-level training. The additional training largely came from last year's fatal sinking of an AAV off the coast of Southern California and a command investigation that found Marines had poor swimming skills, incomplete underwater egress training, and little experience in the water. Students spent several hours weekly in the pool in order to practice swim strokes and in some cases relearn how to swim and survive in the water. Course developers decided to train and qualify students to WSI, Water Survival Intermediate, a higher standard than the boot camp minimum, Water Survival Basic. At that level, they could use small boats and reach a beach without requiring larger vehicles. For example, according to ITB West Commander Lieutenant Colonel Walker Curry, while, additional, while the addition of water training is important for amphibious operations that are the Marine Corps' specialty, instructors say it also provides survival skills, acclimatizes infantry means Marines for amphibious operation, builds confidence in their own abilities in the water, and reduces musculoskeletal injuries by improving their overall fitness. Per quote, personally, I think it's all. it always should have been a huge emphasis being an amphibious force, said Sergeant Raz Ornelius, a combat instructor. It's very important for all units to focus on. Interesting. 
So that's that's just the first. I know General Alford is headed up to Quantico, and one of the things he's charged with is revamping Marine infantry training. So we will see how far that goes because uh, when you read and talk to General Alford, he's talking about, hey, the Marine Corps tomorrow will not be the Marine Corps of today. You know, the Marine Corps of today is is young, 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 and the Marine Corps of tomorrow will not be young, young, young. It will be older. It will be more mature. And I think he said we re-enlist about 50% of our first term. He said that number is going way down. That as we retain more, we will not need to retain as many first term, which means our recruiting requirements will go down. So very interesting. So we'll see uh, uh, We'll see what happens with General Alford, you know, in the future and his efforts. But uh, the infantry officer course, I think, you know, might be 13, 14 weeks is going – is you know, the length that we will train lieutenants and what they'll be able to, to do will will go up. And I don't mean by a couple weeks either. I mean by by a number of weeks. So uh, so this is the first in a series of changes in the Marine Corps as the Marine Corps becomes a much smaller force and, uh, and tries to, I don't know if you would say design itself around the Army Rangers. Some people would say that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how much the Marine Corps is able to do. The other thing that's going to be interesting to see is I don't think there's been really a reconciliation done in our war plans. So all of a sudden, the Marine Corps doesn't do windows, right? We don't have tanks, right? Our, we don't have as much towed artillery, tubed artillery, period. And But yet the Marine Corps is in a whole bunch of war plans around the world with those formations. So has anybody done the reconciliation, and does the Army know that that stuff's not going to be there? And the COCOM know that, hey, yeah, we're not, we can't do this anymore. I don't know that I've seen anything written about that yet. And which, which means if that's what the war plans call for, somebody's going to have to shit those tanks in those formations because the Marine Corps is not doing windows anymore. So interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, another story. Marines may take up to five months' leave after giving birth. The Marine Corps is encouraging commanders to approve annual leave requests that effectively would extend leave for new parents by up to 60 days. Marine Corps Commandant, this is Marine Corps Times, written by Phil Athley. Marine Corps Commandant Dave Berger, general type, has long championed the idea of a year-long leave of absence for new parents, noting in the summer of 2019 that the Marine Corps leave policy had not kept up with society. Though he has worked to increase parental leave, the Federal Employee Paid Leave Act has capped the available leave at 12 weeks for the birth, adoption, or placement of a new child. Commanders are strongly encouraged to approve annual leave in conjunction with military parental leave program. So 12 weeks is what? One, two, three, three months. Annual leave would be another two. That's how you get five months of leave. So in total, a Marine who has given birth would be able to take a total of five months of leave if commanders. What about spouses? Marines who are the primary caregiver but did not give birth would have a little more than three and a half months of leave available. Secondary caregivers would have a little more than two and a half months of parental leave. 
So if you're a secondary caregiver, is that if you're a spouse? So if you're the non-birthing spouse, you get two and a half months leave, parental leave? That's what it sounds like. Uh, let me give you uh, a few top stories. Early bird is not functioning today, so I can't tell you what the top five stories are because the top five stories today are the same as the top five stories yesterday. Let me read you an email. How the hell can Congress not ask hard questions for the Marine Corps when they come up? Are they simply not very interested? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, you see Congressman, Congressman Garamendi from California. Uh, he's gotten fired up about this. Why? Because he's got people from his district that have been impacted? Well, where's the chair of the House Armed Service Committee, and why isn't he asking the Marine Corps really difficult questions? Really uncomfortable questions like, how the hell did this happen? How can, you, how can given the amount of money we allocate, right, and you're supposed to budget to keep these vehicles operational, how can this not happen? And the answer to that is, I guess they're not very interested because they don't seem to be paying attention. You know, and this is the first turn, you know, and we'll mention that, and Jeff and I were talking yesterday about it, and I don't know if we'll mention it first or Jeff did, about and saying, hell, they they haven't been, you know, first of all, we haven't been at war for the last twenty years, okay? That's been that that shit's been over for ninety plus percent of the Marine Corps since about what two thousand, you know, thirteen fourteen, yeah. Very, very small numbers. Everybody else, what are they doing? They're doing what they normally should be doing back in garrison, which is taking care of your shit, fixing it, making sure it works. That's not the narrative that you just had a two-star general say. The last 20 years of of uh, ground-borne operations have... Uh... Well, let me tell you, the, the vast majority of the operations the Marine Corps has been doing the last six have been MUSE. And that shit. Why don't your vehicles work, General? Yeah. So that I, I, again, what is my answer? Yeah, they they do not appear to be very interested because they don't ask the most basic of questions. They don't seem to be able to ask, and to be able to 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 put testimony that's not very good. They don't seem to have a staffer that could come up and pass them a note that says, ask him this. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be able to be done. And I know what you're thinking. God help us. Or if you want to quote Will, we're doomed. Um, a story about, uh, I talked about gel, I don't know, yesterday, the day before? No, it was the day before. So um, one of the great advances in uh, that you'll notice if you've been out of the, the military for a long time is uh, what a first aid kit looks like. So I, I talked about this gel that, that's being, you know, experimented with. And Stars and Stripes story. 
Medics can co- apply coagulants like quick clot to wounds to stem blood loss long enough for a service member to get to a field hospital. But arterial wounds can be hard to treat in the field, said Robert Mance, a chemistry branch chief with the Army Research Laboratory. Troops dying from blood loss to parts of the body where bandages or tourniquets can't be applied has been a persistent problem during battles in the past two decades, according to researchers. And and, and I, I will tell you, you know, in both Iraq and Afghanistan, um, and my recollection, specifically more in Afghanistan, where they used um, directional fragmentation charges. So most of the IDs in my time in 2004-2006 in Iraq were munitions. So they would be artillery rounds that were left in and out. Uh, when when the government fell, those ammunition dumps got raided, and they became the source of, of the IDs that blew up in, in Iraq. In Afghanistan, went the same way. What they would do is they would take a c- container and they would uh, they would make HME, homemade explosives. So they'd make this exploding concoction. And then they would put ball bearings, metal, or something. And they would make it directional by the way they put it in the ground and, and kind of fas- fashion the dirt and other things. Maybe even the container that, that held all the metal. And so by the way they positioned the pressure plate, relative to this directional charge, right? This thing was designed to explode into your lower extremities. Well, um, if, if it, and, and, and they did. And if they hit a lower extremity, honestly, that was a good thing because you could tourniquet that and you could save their life. The problem was when they, when they hit into the lower abdomen, because now you can't tie that shit off. So it is a race to get that person onto an operating table. And then it's a race that pits the vascular surgeon against the number of blood transfusions and the threat of organ shutdown in in a human being. And so this is absolutely spot on. I mean, we had Marines, you know, I that I remember one who, I want to say 52 units of blood as they're trying to save him, working on him. And it was an, I, it was an IED that blew into his, uh, his abdomen. And uh, so anyway, um, a little bit of background on that. Um, this doctor says this, Dr. Mance, Quote, the thing that excites me about this is that we have data that shows this works on arterial bleeding. And to my knowledge, none of the other products out there can handle that. And the problem with arterial bleeding is the amount, right? Right, and the pressure behind arterial bleeding. As you take something like quick clot, it just doesn't have the power to shut something like that down quickly. Uh, The article goes on. Blood pulsing out essentially saying what I just said, blood pulsing out from arterial wounds can wash away coagulants before they can stem the bleeding unless someone stays to apply pressure, which medics under fire may not always be able to do. Wounded fighters 
handed over for transport also may not have someone available to apply pressure. Sometimes, though, I mean, even the pressure doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The Defense Health Agency has funded the research into this product called Stat Bond, which is applied using something like a caulking gun. The hemostatic gel flows into the wound and seals it, allowing leaking blood vessels to clot, an Army statement said. The gel could be placed into areas such as the groin, the trunk, armpit, neck, internal organs, and eyes. The research is conducted by the University of Mississippi Medical Center, Vanderbilt University, in Nashville, Tennessee. Similar products such as Woundstat have been pulled from use by the Army due to issues with safety. Animal testing hasn't found any negative reactions to stat bond, Dr. Mantz said, adding that the gel does not chemically react, generate heat, or harden. It can be left in the body and flushed out over time naturally. The gel is going through registration with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and human testing may begin soon, Mantz said. The product may be available to physicians next year and to soldiers by 2025 if testing goes well, said John Lichtman. Lichtenhen, vice president of technology for hybrid plastics, a Mississippi-based nanotechnology company involved in the research. So, I, I mean, I tell you that uh, that's a big deal, right? That's a big deal. So, uh, so good to hear. Now, this I saw, you know, it comes from two days ago. This is from Janes.com. Janes Defense, for those of you who don't know, got famous writing about ships and um, and has continued to do so. <laughs> and, uh, and so saw this article about AVs. So I thought, hmm, let me take a look. Headline, U.S. Marine Corps' AAV fleet still sidelined as fixes continue, service leaders say. Here's another quote. This is from General Olson. Some 54% of the vehicles that were inspected, this is after the incident, had failures in watertight integrity of their plenum doors. 18% had cargo hatches that were leaking in excess of what they should have been. And 50% had inoperable emergency escape lighting system. So again, um, there's more data for you. The question is, who's in charge of this? And as Will said, what did they report? And if and if they didn't report what was accurate, then they should be court-martialed. Right? And under Will's, we don't need to make it friendlier to report. We need to go ahead and make it more difficult. And there's one other uh, interesting little... Um, kind of the world-changing kind of story that that I would bring to you before I get out of here on a Friday. And that is this. So what's website called, I saw this in Early Bird, website called 1945. 
Headline, China's planning an air base on America's doorstep. So I looked at it and I said, well, what is that? China has plans to improve an airplane landing strip as well as a bridge on one of the Republic of Kirby Kiribati's outlying islands, according to a recent report from Reuters. K-I-R-I-B-A-T-I. Okay. So here's the Reuters report. China plans to revive strategic Pacific airstrip, Kiribati lawmaker says. Okay, so the first thing is, where the hell is Kiribati? I've never heard of it. So when you bust out your Google Earth, what you're going to see is this small little dot called Kiribati. But Kiribati is spread the hell out. It has islands that are a part of it that are in the Eastern Hemisphere, the Western Hemisphere, the Northern Hemisphere, and the Southern Hemisphere. And so it is from the Hawaiian Islands. It is southwest, about 1,800 miles. Yeah, so it's 1,800 miles from Hawaii. So Hawaii, or China, actively seeking right, to begin island hopping their military power across the Pacific. The Reuters story says this, China has drawn up plans to upgrade an airstrip and bridge on one of Kiribati's remote islands about 3,000 kilometers southwest of Hawaii, lawmakers told Reuters, in a bid to revive a site that hosted military aircraft during World War II. Guess whose aircraft they hosted? That would be ours. The plans which have not been made public involve construction on the tiny island of Canton, also spelled C-A-N-T-O-N or K-A-N-T-O-N, a coral atoll strategically located midway between Asia and the Americas. Kiribati opposition leader Tessie Lamborn told Reuters she was concerned about the project and wanted to know whether it was part of China's Belt and Road Initiative. Quote, the government hasn't shared the cost and other details other than its feasibility study for rehabilitation of the runway and bridge, Lamborn told Reuters. Quote, the opposition will seek, will be seeking more information from government in due course. The office of Kiribati President Tanedi Mamu did not respond for, to questions. The Chinese Foreign Ministry did not respond to questions. And then in another article, it says that this President Tanedi Mamu is, uh, is an advocate of a very, very close relationship with China. The story goes on. The island would become a fixed aircraft carrier, 
said one advisor to Pacific governments who declined to be named because of the sensitivity of the project. The U.S. 7th Fleet and the State Department did not immediately respond to requests for comments. Kiribati has in recent years been at the center of a tussle between China and the U.S. and Pacific Allies. In late 2019, it severed diplomatic ties with Taiwan in favor of China in a decision overseen by Ma Mu, president type, who went on to win a closely contested election on a pro-China platform. The diplomatic shift, which mirrored events in the Solomon Islands, was a setback for self-ruled Taiwan, while China claims, which China claims as a province with no right to state-to-state ties. You know, what's amazing about that is, you know, if, if you've heard Grant talk about that, you know, Ch- Taiwan has never been a part of China. It's always, always ruled itself independently. Yet there's this claim that, yeah, we own that island. Well, there you have it. So that'll do it here on, uh, that's the news. That's all I got today. Um giving Greg Lotus a day off. Yep. And uh, I thought I'd update a little news story. So on Monday, what you'll hear is, you know, I, I have to go through about three hours of testimony. And what I'll do is you'll hear the parents. You'll hear the questions. And then anything significant. But what I really want you to hear is General Thomas and General Olson, Major General Olson. Um in, in their points. And again, when you consider, per our discussion last night, that Marine Corps AAVs have not been to war since 2006, you have to ask the question, what the fuck, boys and girls? We can't keep our equipment in good working condition? So, yeah, not a comfortable question, but again, um, I think Will Cosentini is absolutely right that we don't need to make people more comfortable. We need to make people less comfortable about doing your job. That's how the Marine Corps always worked. It's a serious endeavor, and when you walk into work, you better have your, have your serious fucking helmet on. And if you don't, then you should get your ass thrown out of that, that organization. Because it's an organization that plays you bet your life on a regular basis. And if you're not up to, to it, Get the fuck out. So, on that note, have a great weekend. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. If I can help you help somebody, don't be afraid to uh, reach out. I'd be more than happy to. And uh, if you're looking on how to do it, go to the Post-Traumatic Winning website, or you can click on the tab on the All Marine Radio site that says Post-Traumatic Winning. It'll take you there. And uh, don't be afraid to change somebody's life. So, on that note, have a great weekend. We'll be back here Monday. I'm out.